I know I started last week this way. We're in a series called Choices, and I made the comment and truth uh, out of research that we make thousands of choices each and every day. And out of those thousands of choices that we make, more than what we realize, thousands of them impact our walk with God. And we're going to look in this series just at six foundational choices that we make. And I would submit to you that we make almost every single day, every one of them. They're critical and essential to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we make, again, multiple choices about those six foundational things. The first one that we looked at that Pastor Kathy shared with you um, three weeks ago was about making disciples. And so we have a choice to make disciples or not. It's a great commission, winning people to Christ, equipping them to serve. We have that as our purpose. And we have a choice to do that each and every day, right? Uh, to be involved in someone's life, to help, to mentor, to help grow, to make disciples of, connect to God or not. And the truth out of Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Next week, we looked at another foundational choice that we make, and that is to pray or not. Acts 2.42, and then we looked at truth in the same week about praying from Luke 11, Jesus' teaching on prayer, what to pray and how to pray. And we have a choice to do that, right? So if you have a prayer life and you pray, and just about everybody here, if I asked you that question, you'd shoot your hand up, yes, I pray. And so the next question would be, well, do you pray how God taught you to pray and what he wants you to pray for, then you maybe have to think about it a little more. Hopefully you do, but it's a choice. The last choice that we looked at um, last week was to grow spiritually or not to grow spiritually. It's a choice, a choice you have each and every day. And you looked at four foundational ways out of the truth, an example of the Acts 2 church about ways in which we can experience spiritual growth. We're going to experience spiritual growth by coming alongside of people who have the gift of teaching and learn from them, or others, maybe that not gifted there, but because we're, we're engaged in a relationship with them, um, we do things together with them, we pick up on things, kind of like that feeding off of one another, rubbing off on one another. That's a, a natural thing that happens. You can see and experience what it means to be a follower of Jesus just by being in the presence of others that claim his presence in their life. We can learn from engagement and experience but by serving God, um, that cognitive ability of actually hands-on and, and doing the things that God calls us to. We learn about him and his provision and his care and also the gifts that he gives to us and the things that we can do, things that I, I would submit to you can be astounding at times. When God empowers a person. And then directly through prayer and devotions, going back to the previous week. But it's foundational to be a follower of Jesus, to grow or to not grow spiritually. It's a choice that we make. And today we're looking at another one, and one that I would share is incredibly essential. And it's about being right with God being right with God. And when I share that, I'm not talking about um, being right just every now and then or when we 
want to be. It's about being right with God on a continual, ongoing basis on a way that says something to others about who it is that we are, that there's a clear understanding that there goes a follower of Jesus. Why? Just because of who they are. And that's a profound thing to to think about it and wonder about. And I know that hopefully is already starting to raise some some questions in your heart and in your mind. And we're going to look at truth out of 2 Chronicles 7, verses 11 to 22, about rightness and about what God has to say about that and the importance of it. And before I read the passage, just the context. So Solomon had just built a temple for the Lord, finished it. And if you have ever read about it um, in terms of its construction and everything, it was, it was magnificent, an incredible place. Uh, walls all lined with pure gold, et cetera, et cetera. It was just a, a phenomenal thing. Um, this temple. And so he finishes it. God comes and fills it. You can read about that in, in verses um, 1 to 10 in chapter 11. And I'll refer to, to those in just a second as well. But then after that's done, God comes and he has a conversation with Solomon. And maybe you know who Solomon is, maybe not. Um, wisest person ever to live, apart from Jesus. And yet God had to speak to him about some things, talk to him about being right and what that would look like. So open up your hearts and hear what it is that God had to say to him and to you and me. 2 Chronicles 7, verses 11 to 22. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and succeeded in carrying out all they had in his mind to do in the temple of the Lord in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and will hear their land. Now my eyes will always be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me as David your father did and do all I commanded and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne. As I covenanted with David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a man rule over Israel. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and the commands I have given you and go off and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from the land which I have given them and will reject this temple that I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword, an object of ridicule among all peoples. And though this temple is now so imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and this temple? People will answer, because they have forsaken their God, the God of their fathers who brought them out of Egypt and embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why he brought this disaster on them. This is... The Word of God might it be written in our hearts and lived in our hearts, in our lives. 
So you might be wondering, what in the world does a conversation that God had with a guy named Solomon, a king who lived a long time ago, have anything to do with me? Well, there's one connection that you need to make almost immediately. And that's this. Back in the Old Testament and pre-Jesus, where did God reside? Where was the presence and the glory of God found? In the temple, in a place of worship. That's where the glory of God was found. Now, post-Jesus, today, where is the glory of God found? In our hearts, in our lives. That's the promise. You know, I thought of all of the verses as I, as I thought about that connection, about the truth of that and what it is that God says. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone opens up the door, I'll come in and I'll be with them. I thought of the, the truth, John 14, the teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples about sending another, a counselor, the Holy Spirit, Almighty God, to come in and live inside. How profound. Acts 2, day of Pentecost. And then the example of the church, Second Corinthians 4, treasures in jars of clay. We're the jars of clay. Jesus in the presence of God is the treasure inside. All throughout Scripture, he, Jesus in the New Testament talks about that. that. That indwelling of God's presence and spirit inside. That's the connection that we have. Because everything that God says to Solomon about what is true to him and for him and his presence there in his heart and in his life is true for us all the more because of the presence of Jesus. And so it's incredibly relevant and powerful. And I hope you can make that connection. And the first thing that I hope that you think about is what you see up on the screen. God chose to reside in Solomon's temple. That was in verse 12. I have heard your prayer and have chosen... Did you see that? Chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. So Solomon built this ornate, wonderful temple. God still could have said, forget it. No, he said, I have chosen this place to be here. So now you make the connection to you. Think about that. This, this always blows my mind up. Think about what God is saying to you there in the words of Jesus and in the New Testament as he shares, I have chosen you. Well, what does that mean to you? What, what does that say about who it is that God is and the love that he has for us? I, I think of John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that's everlasting. I chose you. God, the creator of the universe. What? And, and, and think about that. That's how much he loves you. That the one who hung the stars in the sky knit you together in your mother's room, fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139 says, but he chose you to give your grace to reveal himself to you. And I hope that that's true. 
that you've opened up your heart and you've received him into your heart. There's nothing better than knowing God. More on that as well. But he chose you. Do you see the magnificence and the significance of that? Could it be possible that followers of Jesus, as they live their lives, lose an understanding of what that means? I think so. Awestruck, reverent, humble beyond measure that God chose you and he chose me. It is so powerful to think about. And maybe the best way to think about that when you think about being chosen, and I don't know if we can wrap our, rain, uh, our brains around God and all that he is. It's great to try it because it just blows your mind up. But think about what it's like to not be chosen. You've experienced that. To not be wanted. To not be liked. To be on the outs. Think about the relationships that you have in your life right now. Ones that are strained or troubled. Ones that you've had in the past or that you'll have in the future where things aren't right. And you know that you're not being chosen. You're on the sidelines. Maybe you had a, a best friend that you loved dearly and they suddenly just said, forget it. And they didn't want anything to do with you anymore. How did that make you feel? There's all other different kinds of understanding and relationships that I could share with you. We know what it means and what it feels like to not be chosen. And we know what it's like to be chosen. And I hope that we know and we never let go of the incredible, powerful heart set of what it means to be chosen by God. I have chosen you. Profound, powerful, humbling. That's a great place to start. To know that the only way that you can be right with God is for him revealing his grace to you. And if you have that in your heart, if you're so privileged to know Jesus Christ. And when I say know him, I'm not talking about an intellectual assent. I'm not talking about an emotional response. I'm talking about in your heart a faith response to who it is that God is. And you know him that way. You know that he is the forgiver of your sins. And you're striving to have him be the leader and Lord in your life. That you know him in that respect. It's a powerful thing. There is nothing better than God and having him in your heart and in your life. And again, I know I've shared this at various times, if that's something that you've got questions about, you, you're not sure that you've ever been there, that you don't have him in your heart, man, would I love to have a conversation with you. It'd be wonderful. Now, I was not um, old enough, even though my kids think that I was to be around when the temple was dedicated in the Old Testament. Um, I have been around when people have opened up their heart to Jesus Christ. And there's nothing like it. 
You know what happened when um, God came into the temple? I, I want you to think about this, and maybe you can, can recall it in your life. Um, maybe some of you have kind of had that um, osmosis thing, even though it's got to be a, a personal decision between you and God. Um, your parents can't give you salvation. Only Jesus can. But I didn't have that case, and, and I can think very clearly. I can still see the room in which I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ in. And, and I think about um, what happened here. And so you, you go to, to verses 1 and 3, and it says this, um, 1 through 3, and, and when Solomon finished praying, so just envision this for a second. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed, came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and it was so powerful it was such an amazing thing priests couldn't get into the temple it was so full of God's glory and radiance and everybody there bowed down and worshiped God they recognized they recognized the the the, the glory of the moment and and that's what opening up your heart to Jesus Christ does Fire comes down and it burns up all the sin. And that decision to surrender fully to God, it it all goes up as a sweet aroma to the great Lord our God. Because now there's a a new relationship. There's a right covenant between God and and the ones that he he seeks to have, um, have in their hearts to live in day in and day out, his chosen. And the radiance and the glory of God fills it. It's a beautiful thing. That's what happened when, whenever you made that, that faith decision to turn your heart over to God. Powerful moment. When celebrated angels in heaven were singing and rejoicing. And in addition to that, so we understand that God is Savior, chosen, Hopefully we, we're humbled by that and we're filled with awe and reverence always about that. But then there's this thing about lordship and about being right. And that's a foundational part of being somebody who is given grace. About living in response to that grace. About making choices. Choices, again, each and every day. And so God speaks to that. And he speaks about that in a very um, clear way. And there's some things that he, that he says here that are true for us again in a forever sense in verses 15 and 16. And I'll get to those in just a minute. But, but this is a conditional covenant. Covenants are so important. Making promises. And God makes promises to us, and hopefully we make promises to him. Now hold on to that. Don't ever lose that covenant. The things that we promise to God and to each other. And so God makes a covenant with his people. And, and if you look at verse 14, it's, it's a conditional covenant, and this is what he says. If my people who are called by my name, stop right there just for a second, if my people who are called by my name. You know, one of the ways that we refer to followers of Jesus is what? What's the word that a lot of people call followers of Jesus? They call them Christians. Christ in Christians. If my people who are called by my name, 
the name of Jesus Christ, Christians. Relevancy. Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Here's the then. Do you see that, verse 14? Then, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If then. Conditional statement. And here's one of the things that I want you to, to recognize about that. So it's about rightness and it's about making choices. Spirituality and rightness and making the right decisions is not forced or mandated by the great Lord our God. So he will never um, create you as a spiritual robot. There's no glory in it for him. Now, I know that I've shared this before. You know, one of the things that I always tried to teach my children is, is this. this is, I, I, when I was talking to them about right behavior and the things that they needed to do. I don't ever want you to obey and to do the things that I asked you to do because you feel obligated or you're concerned about consequences. I don't ever want, I don't want you to think that you have to do it. I want you to do it because you love me and it will make our relationship right. Didn't come up with that one on my own. That's God's relationship with us. He does not force or mandate righteousness or godly moments in your heart and in your life. He lets you choose them. And that's the hope. That's the desire. And here's, here's what's awesome about this too. So if you look at verse 13, it's something that we could miss. We can get right into the covenant there in verses 14. It says, if my people then. But, but what does it say in verse 13? It says, when I shut up. Didn't you see that first word too, when? It's so important to pay close attention to Scripture. When, so it's not a matter of if it's going to happen, it's when it happens. You know, a lot of people live under the delusion that once you ask uh, Jesus Christ in your heart and life, everything's going to be, man, it's going to be wonderful, great, no problems ever. No, that's not his promise. He promises to be your God in all of that. Some of the ways that we grow and some of the ways that we learn and some of the ways that we trust and some of the ways that we display great faith are in the hardest of times. And so he says, when, when I shut up the heavens so there's no rain, when I command the locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. You see what he's saying? Because then he gets into the, the covenant, if and then. He's saying, when things are hard, when things are difficult in your life, then, if, then, And is this not true that the time that we have the hardest in being right with God is when things aren't great? When we lose faith and we turn, that was Israel's problem all of the time. When they were facing uh, invasion, what did they do? They went off and they sought the help from other kings, from other people that they thought had power and could rescue them. God was always saying, ascending prophets, why are you doing that? Don't you realize who I am? I'm God, the Almighty One who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I, I got this. And yet they would turn and they were going to do it. And there other th- they would worship other gods. They would call on other gods, wooden and, and gold and sticks, stones, and, and call out and say, hey, help us out. The gods of the land. We have gods of the land. What are the things that Americans trust in? Even though we have it on our money, it's not always that. The great Lord our God, very often it's not. 
all kinds of things. And then again, you think about when things aren't right in a relationship, what happens behaviorally, the things that we can do and who it is that we can be, lies, gossip, deceit, bitterness, anger, hurt. Do you see what God is saying? He knows that when things are good, we're usually capable of being right. But when things are bad, things can go south in a hurry in terms of our behavior and our relationship with God. And that's what he's speaking to. It's kind of like an assent by God and saying, okay, I know that you're basically going to be a a good follower of me when everything's hunky-dory, but when it's not, and sometimes by your own choosing, when you make a decision and there's consequences from that, things get bad, and you kind of like sin begat sin. There's all kinds of things that can happen. So when that happens, if then you do this, if you turn to me, if you call on my name, if you humble yourself, See, that, that's, that's what he wants. That's what he wants at our worst of times, when things are worse for us, that we be right with him. Not an easy thing. But that's his desire. If he knows that at the worst time of your life, you're trying to do everything that you can to be right with him, you're praying, you're seeking them. And, I, and I, I, I think of those words again about Luke 11, teaching to pray. What does he say? It was verse 10. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock on the door, and it will be opened. See how this all works together, being right. And if that time, even if it's because of a sin that you made and then the consequences are there, it, there's that confession and repentance and you just want to be right with God all over again. You want that renewal. You want that transformation. That, that's, what he's, that's what he's saying. This is who you need to be. If you do that, if you do that, then, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive your sin and I'll heal your land. I'll heal your relationships. I'll heal your being. something really powerful to think about. That's what he wants. He calls us to be right with him in hard times. And he makes some forever promises. Verses 15 and 16. In the midst of that. So you see that if, if, okay, I'm willing to do that. And that's what I want to do. I want to walk with God always even during the hard times. Here's the promises that he gives to you when you're in that moment. Maybe you're there now, maybe not. Maybe you went through it. I know that you'll go through it again. Here's what he says, verse 15. Here's the first forever promise. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. What is God saying? It's related to the second one. But my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to your prayers. I will be watching. I will be listening. I will be involved in your life. I know what's happening. Each and every problem that you have, everything that discourages you, everything that causes you pain and hurt, I see it. I know it. And when you lay that before me in prayer, when you share those things, you share those hurts, you share humbly the the desire to change, I will hear it. And I will be attentive to them. I'm listening. 
I'm your God and I love you. The second is like to that. I have chosen and consecrated this temple. Again, think you. I have chosen. That's God speaking to you. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name will be there, what? What's next? Forever. Forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there no matter what. Is that not a profound statement from God about who he is. One of the things that people struggle with so much that they talk to me about is when they have done something that they think is unforgivable. And you know why they think it's unforgivable often? Because other people won't forgive them. We don't forgive like God forgives, and we don't love like God loves no matter how well we do it. And so I, I get those questions. I don't think God can ever forgive me for what I've done. I don't think he loves me anymore. Not true. Oh, not true if you're there. It's not true. If you've received his grace, listen to what he says. I've chosen you. I've come inside of you and made you right. I will always be with you, always. Do you remember what Jesus said at the end of the Great Commission? Verse 20, the last part of verse 20. I'm sure you got it right there, you know. And surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. You know John 3.16, anybody? Again, very common verse. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him should have not perish, but what have, what life? Everlasting life. I love you. I'm with you always. I chose you. Even when you're not right with me. This is so incredible. And, and again, so humbling. It, it, thank you, Lord. I just praise God for all of this because again, there, that's important when we think about other relationships and the lack of grace and forgiveness and not rightness. And what God desires out of us in those relationships and what he desires out of us in our relationship with him. And he makes those two forever promises to watch, to see, to listen, to be present and available always. It's powerful. And yet the desire is that we would choose to be right. That's how the passage ends, his conversation with Solomon. Verses 17 and 18 are, are spoken specifically to Solomon. If you see in those verses, as for you, if you, and so that you is a singular you in the Hebrew. So he's speaking specifically to Solomon. And, and he's saying to him, uh, Cut to the chase, if you observe my decrees and laws, if you do what it is is right, and you're with me and you're walking with me, then this is what I promise to you. This is what will happen. As I have covenanted, do you see that word? So important. God always lives up to his end of the bargain, always. Never broken a promise. 
this is what will happen. So he's speaking specifically to Solomon. And then if you go to 19 and 20, verse 19 starts this way. But if you, do you see that? If you turn away, that's a plural you. And forsake the decrees and the commands I've given you, that's a plural you. He's speaking now to the nation of Israel and a group of people, his chosen. And so we, we can learn from that. We can understand what they God is saying to, to us as individual followers of Jesus Christ, but also as the body of Jesus Christ and as a church. He's speaking about the, the, the covenant and the grace that he'll give if we choose to continue to walk with him and to be his people and to be right with him in all that that means. And if you want to know what that means, start reading. All kinds of commands and teachings that God speaks about in terms of who we're to be. What does it mean to be right? And whenever you see that word righteousness, that's all it's saying. It's about the state of being right. Pages are filled with that. Praise God again, the spirit inside is what empowers us to be right. It's profound, it's awesome to think about. But then he talks about what's going to happen, the if and the then again. And he speaks to, to the, the nation of Israel and speaks about, about a place, a, a gathering, the temple. He goes back to that. He says, if it's so imposing now, so, so beautiful, so magnificent, if you choose not to walk, I mean, this is what's going to happen. People are going to walk by and be appalled. I want to submit to you that there is church after church that people walk by and are appalled by. Uh, uh, just not what it is that, that it was simply because of an abandonment of following God and being right with him. So we have a choice. We have a choice as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, as the body, to be right. To understand what purpose is and what following him means and to follow him with faith. We have a choice, and you have a choice. I have a choice. We all have a choice, personally, to live out a life that is right with God. What does that mean for you? And so there's the question, and that's the challenge. See, all this truth was given to share with you about who God is, about what he hopes and desires out of your heart and in your life. And so the question is, does it mean anything? Where are you at right now with God? You know the answer. What's wrong in your relationship with God? What needs to change? Where do you need to call on his name to work in your heart and make something happen that's not there now and it can only happen because of his amazing grace? His power to transform and change. What is it? Maybe it has to do with faith. Maybe you're filled with doubt. Maybe you don't believe God can do this or that. Maybe again, it's a behavior. Maybe it has to do with who you're being with somebody else. Rightness. It all matters. And that's the challenge that God gives. He wants you to be right with him, and he wants you to be filled with him because there's nothing better than God.
You know, all of you know that, um, maybe not all of you, you will now, um, I'm a huge Michigan fan. It's been pretty good to be a Michigan fan lately. <laughs> Except on the basketball court, but we won't talk about that. But Jim Harbaugh had a saying. Um, he said, uh, uh, there's nothing better um, than being a Michigan fan. Who's got it better than us? That was his saying. Who's got it better than us? <laughs> I didn't hear that whole and completely, but I think I know what it was. I may disagree with that, but I do disagree with it from this premise. Who's got it better than a Michigan fan, a follower of Jesus? I hope that's you. I hope that your heart is right with God that you've opened up your heart and you've asked him to come inside and to live with you. That's the starting place. And then as a follower of Jesus, you've chosen. You've chosen to be right with God and you're choosing to be right with God. And you're living in the splendor and the glory and the magnificence of having him in your heart and in your life fully, completely. I, I know we have our lives like this sometimes spiritually but is this not true I hope you can resonate with this I hope you can recall moments maybe even right now that you're at the best place you could possibly be with the Lord and there is nothing like it nothing is better than God and being right with him that's the challenge he gives and that I want to pray about would you join me Lord God I thank you for your word and your truth Lord, we read these sometimes and they just seem to be words on a page. But Lord, you share those. They're living words. Words inspired by your Spirit and words, oh God, as they come to our heart and into our mind, that come alive. Lord, if we're a follower of you and we have your grace inside, we, we know that if there's th something that's not right, we've been convicted of it already. You've spoken. And you'll continue to speak. And your desire is that we would always be right with you. Lord, I thank you again for your power, for your grace, for your presence, and all that that means. And for the things that can be simply because of you. The way our lives can change. The way we can experience your presence. Your grace, your love, your power the fruit of the blessings of being right with you. It's such a beautiful thing. Lord, I thank you for the way in which that's occurring in the lives of these, your people, your chosen, those called by your name, and for the way they will be in the future. You are a good, you are an amazing, a glorious God, and we praise you, we praise you, we praise you, and come humbly before you. Make us right. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.